Previously on the Nature of My Game podcast. I encountered a, a, one of the, the beggar children that was... It, her brother was harmed by this the thing. He keeps a monster up there, a demon. And it attacked Noah and it, it hurt him and he, he needs help and I don't know what to do. And when you get closer, you see that he has scratches all over his body. And that the parts of his body near the scratches have started to crystallize. Crystal, like, uh, that looks like my inkwell. It's the same sort of... Monty! Monty! Are you alright? No! No, 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 I'm not. Don! Francis, this is my handwriting. This is my handwriting on this paper, and I don't know how it got there. A world. Black stars. A white sky. Twin suns sinking into a lake. I mean, I think I would have been continuing the backwards motion and just trying to, like, flee, but I don't think I can stop the kill train as it chugga-chugga-chugs out of the station. <laughs> he bites your arm, and he, it sink, his teeth sink into your arm, and you immediately see flecks of that black rock kind of imprint themselves into your arm. So take the gun out of the hand and put it right up to... Um, to the child and just pull the trigger. Paris, 1895. As the organist at the Cathedral of Notre Dame, Baptiste Cabot had a responsibility to be perfect. The congregants, the clergy, the tourists and visitors, they had expectations, and Baptiste Cabot would meet those expectations. This is what kept Monsieur Cabot at the church, in the organ room, late into the evening, practicing to ensure that he would be ready for services the following day. Night had long since fallen, and Cabot was wrapping up when he heard a strange noise echo through the cathedral. It sounded like a moan of pain, but there was something strange about it, something inhuman. Cabot considered for a moment, eager to leave and ignore what he had heard. But no, he was a man of God. He was the organist at one of the greatest symbols of the church in all the world, and he would do what he could to help any of God's children who might be in trouble. He picked up his sheet music, slid it into his bag, and moved quickly out of the organ room and down the stairs into the main sanctuary. He could hear the moaning more clearly now, and he was sure of two things. Someone or something was in pain, and they were lying near the altar steps. As Baptiste Cabot moved closer to the front of the church, he saw something that made his blood run cold. Lying on the stairs leading up to the altar was something huge. It couldn't be a man, it was too big, and it had… wings? Cabot was terrified, but something compelled his feet to continue moving, and he drew nearer to the creature, near enough to see it clearly. It looked like one of the gargoyles from up in the rafters come to life, but Cabot knew at once what it was. It was a demon. He turned to run, but as he looked back toward the doors of the church, he felt the creature's hand land on his shoulder. In that moment, the darkness in the sanctuary was filled with a brilliant light, so bright that he had to shield his eyes. The doors at the back of the cathedral fell away, and he saw himself walking into the most beautiful garden, into paradise, into the Garden of Eden and he was being led there by the demon. As the vision slipped away, he knew what he had to do. 
The demon was one of God's creation too, and Baptiste Cabot would help anyone in need. He turned back, helped the creature to its feet, and began leading it back to his apartment. He would care for it there. As we were starting to getting started uh, to get ready to record, uh, we were talking a little bit about, you know, we had made predictions before how many episodes we thought the scenario would take. And I said, I really think it's it's going to be about right, you know, one or two more. And Emily said, how are we going to solve this in that time? <laughs> and I reminded her that solve and end not are not necessarily the same thing. And, and it is actually interesting to me because I, my, my, first role-playing experience and really the role-playing experience that I had for like the first eight years was Pathfinder, which is, you know, a, a D&D offshoot. And I think the assumption in that game is that more times than not, way more times than not, 98% of the time, your characters are going to be heroes and they're going to save the day eventually. But I don't think that's the assumption in this game, and there are lots of games out there where that isn't the assumption, and it's much more about the story than it is solving it. And I'm wondering, how does that feel for all of you? As a person who really likes being in control of the situation, it's a little bit horrifying, which, appropriate. <laughs> it's, I, I think it's it's cool. It's cool to kind of, um, it's like a weird, and I mean, this shocking way you all, all these nerds like it, just like all these nerds like improv. But it's like it's like a form of improv. It's it's like narrative improv, where where you have in your head the life of this character, and it's like, you know, this is who they are, this is what they'll do, and you can think like I I think three steps, four steps ahead, but then something will happen that you'll have to kind of react in real time to, and the the thing about this story. And the fact that it's not solvable, really, like we're not going to solve it. I think that that frustration comes through in that, like the improv part of it, like it's almost frustrating. And I think, but I think that lends itself to the game being fun to play and probably fun to listen to, hopefully fun to listen. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I, yeah, and I, I really like playing with tone in RPGs and as someone who also comes out of a like D&D as a formative role-playing game experience the power fantasy the sort of high fantasy idea where death really is sort of the exception rather than the rule and it can be wonderful and dramatic and like really great stuff when it does happen in those games as well um, but it's not so much the expectation um, and even in other games that are more horror-centric that I have been a part of or run have not necessarily trended towards death being super heavy. Um, they've been a little more, uh, let's call it horror adventure. Uh, so, um, but I, I like the idea that it can just end for one of these characters at any time. That And that's just an, an expectation that 
that might be that might be it or you know eventually end for all of these characters without there being necessarily what we might consider a otherwise satisfying narrative resolution because that's just not how it played out we we talked before about the theater background that many of us have and it's just like but would aristotle appreciate a dramatic form that didn't end with some sort of resolution i read three different translations of it and i don't remember them but I think that like, it's it's weird. Like it's it's not a way that, cause this is my first time playing a game like this. And so it's, it is funny to wrap my head around that like, it may not have a bow on it, mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. like that's a, a still a satisfying kind of conclusion. Yes. All those thinking guys back then, they, they like those unanswerable <laughs> questions. They're like, they're like, whoa, who knows? How much a Henway? What's a Henway? Oh, well. Like, that's that was kind of the classic the Aristotle right there. What? It's a classic Aristotle right yeah, there. Yeah, that that's from Henway? Aristotle's, that's from the, uh, the, what's the one called? Not Cybertown. Deception Point? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was, it was Deception Point by Aristotle. It's a, it's... Aristotle on Deception Point is just, what? you know. Eric, you know best. the other one I'm thinking of. It's this, they're pre-Robert Langdon. You got Deception Point. Oh, I, 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 I love Deception Point. It's my favorite Dan Brown I book. I love Deception Point too. Don't get me wrong. Also, Dan, thanks for, thanks for listening. Dan, appreciate it. Um, Dan means a lot. Honestly, Dan, you're a major inspiration. Dan Brown, if you could maybe promote our you know, <laughs> what we're doing here, Digital Fortress, I believe, is the is the book. Digital that you're talking Fortress, about. Digital Fortress. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah, not Cybertown, but you can see <laughs> where I'd get Cybertown. Cybertown's like the weird knockoff. <laughs> Cybertown was like a Second Life. Sort of. I just looked up Dan Brown. I have no, I've never heard of Dan Brown. Origin is a book he wrote as well. Yeah, and I oh, don't no, know. Yes. good. The okay. Lost Symbol. The last symbol, yeah, the last that, symbol was that was so hyped good. up. That was no, like, that's, yeah, that's, that's going to be worst. the next. It's the one after the Da Vinci Code, and then Inferno, right? Yep, Inferno. Uh-huh. I liked Inferno. My wife, I've never seen her more angry at the end of a book than she was at at the end of Inferno. You want to talk about like a guy just being like, you want to say I can in the books? Well, guess what? The world <laughs> is screwed, and everyone's dead because they didn't want Dan Brown to write an ending, did they? Well, guess what? <laughs> Everybody dies. And Robert Langdon doesn't save the day. One Harvard professor can't save the can't world for a third time. Fifteen times or whatever. Yeah. Or fourth, excuse me. We're we're slowly veering toward this shifting from a from a, an actual play podcast to a Dan Brown <laughs> fan yeah. and analysis show, which yeah, I'm okay with. Dan Brown book talk. We call it obviously Deception Point. <laughs> Live from the Digital Fortress. And then he sues us, yeah. Yeah, he sues us. <laughs> and he turns out he's a miserable son of a gun. <laughs> All right. So um, as we pick our story back up, a lot of things have just happened. Um, <laughs> yes, you could say. Mm-hmm. You had an experience with Noah, um, who's this young boy uh, who was attacked by whatever demon is being kept in Baptiste Cabot's apartment. And has changed, obviously. He, he he has scratch marks all over his body. Those wounds have started to crystallize with that same black, shiny stone that you've seen elsewhere. Um, and he's having visions. Um, and he has one of these visions while you're there. Uh, we didn't even really address that that part of the vision was directed directly at Donald. Uh, but we can we can leave that alone for right now. 
Um, and Francis is the only one that really realizes that this child is going to st- get violent as soon as his vision ends. And so she tries to protect the group. Um, but the, but but Noah lunges out anyway and is shot by Monty, but not before he's able to sink his teeth into Donald. And Donald um, feels this wound start to spread on his arm and has a horrifying vision, seemingly from the perspective of the organ player at Notre Dame Cathedral. Um, and so that's where we start now. Um, what's happening with each of you at the moment? I think Donald uh, wants to cut his arm off. I think he, that's that's move one, is, is just start cutting. Like, even though he doesn't have the acumen and does, there's not a bone saw, he wants whatever the... Or anesthetic. He wants to try to get this his arm off. Okay. He's going to... How about this? He'll say it. He'll say, does anybody have a knife? And then if somebody wants tries to stop him, offers a better solution. Okay, but I'm cutting my arm off. All right. Does, does anyone have a knife? Would they offer it to him if they did? I have a palette knife. <laughs> I have my painting palette knife. I, I was going to ask for a preparedness roll. Oh, Lord. Yeah, you can, Donald, you you even, if you'd like, can make mm. a preparedness roll to see whether you have a knife. I just looked at my uh, investigation page, and the thing I saw, cool customer. <laughs> As I am going to cut my arm off. <laughs> One cool customer. There has, no, there has to be a better way. You can't cut your arm off. So a preparedness roll. Am I doing a preparedness roller? Yeah, to see whether you right. have a knife on you. You might have a right. pocket knife or something. I'm using... I don't want to use all four of my points. That seems rude. I'll use three don't, of them. Don't cut the whole arm. If you're going to yeah. cut, try to just gouge. I'm going to use three preparedness points. I want to I get a go at this. <laughs> oh. Okay. A three, so plus three, it's a six. Oh. Yeah, so you, you do have a knife on you. And I think I, I think I would say the thing that's really going through your head is this vision of of who you think is Baptiste Cabot, like cutting chunks out of his hand in your vision, right? And, and in the vision, the crystallized places came back, but you also have the salve with you. So I think yeah. these are the things that are running through your head. Yeah, and I think that his his even before he thinks of the salve, it's. Because he's seen it, he's seen it spreading. Like that's been the whole thing. Every time they've ever had a horrifying vision, it's been tendrils growing out of a fixed point with this shit in it. And I think that that vision of of Baptiste kind of carving it out and it coming back. I think that even before he thinks salve, that hyper rationalism is going to be well. If I get rid of my arm, it can't spread to me anymore. So he's not thinking clearly. Like it's not a good idea. Don't <laughs> kids listen at home. Don't do this. But that's I do think that that his first thing would just be to like kind of go for the cut without thinking. Okay. Um. So I'm gonna I'm gonna want you to make me first of all a composure roll to see whether you can bring yourself to do this. Mm-hmm. Which, and it's a different kind of composure role than I think many of the ones that we've had so far. This is really, you're trying to pass to see whether you can steal yourself enough yeah. to do it. I'll use one of my points and save one. 
And what's a push? So a push is it, it's really just a, a boost. It's a it's not a it's not an in-world thing. It's really a it's it's a it's kind of a game mechanic to allow you to to kind of get an extra benefit. And could I what if I used it here like what would happen? Um I think if you used it here and you succeeded, you mm. would for sure get out the crystallization that has already happened. Okay, I'm going to use a push at, at at risk of my health because I believe that means I take one health point hit. What was my reality collapse? Lose one health each time you make a push. Mm. Yep. So you'll you'll lose a health from your pool. Okay. I'm doing a plus one to my dice. Oh my god. Here we go, folks. You can't... Um... Oh, it's a three. Plus one is a four. Oh no. So four four is enough. So you you start to... You, like, your first reaction is to cut, is to cut through your arm, right? Mm -hmm. But you go kind of right near where the crystallization is happening. And you start to slice into your arm. And... You, you realize in that moment that you think you can get it out, right? Like you, you've kind of gotten under your skin enough that you see where it's not crystallized and you kind of change course right in the middle and you're able to take a chunk out of your arm that removes the crystallization. So that happens very quickly, right? You just pull the knife out and you start cutting and you take this chunk out of your arm. Francis and Donald, or Francis and, and Monty, you see this happen. What is your yeah. reaction? I... I mean, in the, I think at first I'd just be frozen. This is completely... This can't possibly help. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I mean, do you, do, was there something that you would be moved to do right away? Well, Francis is just... Oh, yeah. Bug-eyed. <laughs> oh, um, Monty grabs the sides of Donald's head and pushes him against the wall and says, now it's your turn to stop. I need you to stop right now. And I'm using my intimidation, my one intimidation for the, uh, for the, for the round. Everyone loses two composure. Two composure, right? Oh yeah, no, I, everyone I loses only had two one composure. Left. I only had one Then composure you just go left. to zero. You're fine. Okay. Yeah. I don't go to negative one composure. No, you don't. <laughs> Okay, there goes my composure. <laughs> Son of a gun! So, Donald, you have just seen Monty shoot this kid, and now he is up in your face with this dead-eyed stare telling you mm -hmm. you need to stop. I, I, I think I got it out. Anyway, I, I, I think I... Did you did you mention a salve? You, there was a salve, right? Wasn't there a salve for this? Don't you have yes. some? Yes. So I start to apply the salve. I also, curious, did I, did my success in getting that out of me, would we say it, restored some normality to the world or no? Um, I think once you apply the salve to it and you see that it stops spreading, that the combination of those actions has returned some normality to the world. And so you can discard that card. All right, so I have the south now on, and I'm just kind of like sitting there zoned, trying to recover from everything that just happened to me. What is Ange doing at this I, at this point? Yeah, I was so, so she's you know? she's just kind of lying over her brother, crying. I'll drop the gun next to her and say, "We helped you, brother," and I'll walk out. Oh my god! <laughs> Monty is 
Monty is uh He's going hot something door. something has snapped a bit in Monty, even though he mm-hmm. you know, it hasn't he's not fully gone. Monty, I think, is in a place, it seems like, um, where he is he's 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 on the edge. He's on the edge of what he can handle. I Yep. So uh Francis and Donald, what do you what do you do after you see uh Monty walk out of the overhang? I think that Donald is the, the combination of what just happened combined with the fact that he just got in his face and intimidated and combined with the fact that right the yeah they did help his brother rationally sure he picks the gun back up because he doesn't want to leave it there and just not even looking back just follows money like I'm I'm with this guy now I'm I trust him pot committed I mean Francis is just looking at this dead child dead child hyphen monster and and like his crying sister and she desperately wants to say something and she absolutely knows that nothing that she says right now is going to be adequate appropriate or probably even register and so she's just gonna say i'm so sorry and she's gonna walk and follow the the other two all right so you leave the overhang and you kind of start making your way away from the sun to, to get out of the area. Um, so I want to I want to check in just mechanically. What car? How many cars does everyone have? I just kind of want to make sure that we're all aware of the state of things because um, I don't know if I've actually mentioned it on the show, but if you get three injury cards or three shot cards at any one time, that is game over for you. Uh, you either lose a grasp on reality permanently or you die. I think I just have the the my car bite now, which is not a small thing. No, the no, my no, car bite. No. Uh, Francis, have... you said you don't have any. I don't think I have any. And then I have dead eyed stare, but uh, yeah, that's the only one I actually currently have. But I've, having been through, <laughs> gained and lost a number of them at this point. I'm yeah. just right. Yeah, money's yeah. not doing great. So Donald is really the one at most risk at the moment because of this bite. Even though you've cut mm-hmm. this chunk out of your um, out of your flesh, you're not really sure how that affects this bite. Can I, as I can I, as I run up, um, I, I feel like medicine do something about this at this point. I'm going to run up and, and catch up with with Donald and just say, "Hold still for one second. and I'm going to take out the rest of that bottle of wine, and I'm just going to try to like pour it onto the the wound. And and like put the towel because we definitely don't know about blood cross contamination, <laughs> so I'm gonna stick that on there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so the three of you have left the scene of the crime, as it were. Um, what's mm-hmm. next? Oh God, do we know? Do we know the way to the the Grenouille? Like. Ange was going to tell us, and I don't think she's going to help us now. I feel like this is one of those things where one of us, maybe me, maybe one of the others, would have at least heard mm. of this place, uh, the, the the frog, if it's a... I, let's see, um, who has, I have culture, right? Yes, actually, yeah, so, so Donald, you, now that you have a moment to breathe and to think, you, you do think you know what this place is. You remember hearing about a newish cafe uh, that just opened up a few months ago on the left bank 
um, which is a neighborhood in Paris called La Grenouille, or the Frog. I think we should we should go to La Grenouille. We should we should go to to the place we saw. It's 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 on the it's on the left bank. I I know the way. Do we have any sort of plan, Francis? Are we just going to go? If, if you don't mind me asking, um, you recounted the vision of what you saw when you touched that rock, correct? Yes, I believe so. Did you say you there was a was a gargoyle in the window? Yes. All right, I consider myself fairly well read, but. Gothic literature was never quite my uh, scene, shall we say. You, I feel like that is more of your particular area of expertise. I don't like the idea that we might have to confront a gargoyle. Uh, it seems ridiculous, but do you recall in any of your readings anything that a gargoyle might be weak or susceptible to? They're made entirely of stone. And he just kind of mutters to himself and squeezes the thing. Masonry tools? A very large hammer? I I don't know. I I can't I can't think of anything. I'm... Was it now this is out of out of universe. Was it gothic literature where there was something where gargoyles had to we get frozen again at sunup, or is that gargoyles on Disney? Afternoon? I was going to say may, that may have just been gargoyles in <laughs> Disney cartoon. Okay. I knew I knew show. I had some I had some cultural <laughs> reference point that gargoyles turned yep, back yep, to yep, stone yep. in the morning, and I thought it was probably from it. Frankenstein, but it turns out it's from gargoyles. It's from no. gargoyles. Castle of Otranto is where that. Yeah, happens. it was. We have to find Goliath. He lives there. <laughs> That would really be a great twist if Goliath lived there. Man, that would really be that would be far out. Think about it. Just this just turns into a yeah, prequel like to the Disney cartoon. Us. We get to mm -hmm. team up. Mm -hmm. We would team up with Goliath and go. Oh, we definitely win then. He's just like you enter and the the sinewy purple frame of Goliath appears. <laughs> You're ruining my plan. I'm so sorry. Mary. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't pick up on all the foreshadowing I was laying no, for the, the that being the culminating scripts. moment. Yeah. <laughs> when you played the theme song before the episode started, that's, I think, when we should have really put it together. The name Baptiste, whatever his name oh, is, man. it turns, rearranged letters, it's Brooklyn. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were all just named after towns, I think, except Goliath. Yeah. Burroughs, right. excuse me. New Yorkers. We've alienated the New Yorkers now. Good. Oh, Good. Damn. <laughs> it was inevitable. This is, this is a small town podcast is what this is. But we finally, Gargoyle fans finally. across the world have finally found a place to land. <laughs> and it's here Gargoyle on this podcast. Fans, fans and fetishists alike. <laughs> <laughs> we welcome them all. <laughs> all right. So do you want to try to acquire a sledgehammer or some sort of carving tool honestly the more i think about it the more that a weapon of some sort a cudgel sounds actually pretty good yeah we need but we also need bullets yeah i mean it's late at night i don't know if 
It is late at night also. So what what do you think? I mean, I I'm a scrounger, it's true. Um so I feel like if there's any chance of finding some sort of things to arm us with, I can probably find something somewhere. Well, I would think that any that, you know, I I think that Donald even though his his he's an architect by trade, uh I think you have some some knowledge of sculpture and so it it might stand to reason that you might mm. know a someone who does sculpture you could always go back to calvin leith and try to acquire some sculpting tools from him um <laughs> we could <laughs> um and then <laughs> somehow i don't think that chicken wire and paper mache are gonna help us <laughs> and then in terms of bullets you know is can you imagine is there any reason why any of you you think would have a gun even if you didn't have it with you or would know someone who owns one Hmm. I feel like that's a good question. Yeah, I don't think anyone of actually. Us... I was thinking no, but uh, honestly, now that I think about it, yes. And it, because of Monty's demi mond mm. he oh, is yeah. connected to he he's connected enough to the underground in Paris that he may know where to acquire um, additional weapons. So I would say that if you want to make if you want to use a demi mond push. That you would be okay. able to acquire, um, acquire some bullets, um, and I'll let you make a roll if you want to see if you can acquire another gun as well. Sure, I would love to do that. I will use one push. We'll say uh, we'll say one to three. You're not able to find a gun, but you can just find some bullets. And four to six, you are able to find another uh, pistol as well. Four. All right. So where do you go? Who do you go talk to? Ah, uh, well. There is a uh, gentleman uh, who uh, of the uh, who was originally, I believe, from Germany, um, who simply calls himself Fitz, and Fitz uh, is a part of a ring of uh, let's uh, let's charitably call them ne'er do wells. Um, <laughs> they do some drug running and racketeering in the city, and. Uh, they are involved in a number of other illicit activities. Um, my understanding is that Fitz keeps himself and his compatriots well armed, and that he is willing to spread that wealth if you can compensate him fairly for it. All right, so you go and find Fitz, and you're able to. You know, th- this is this is probably Fitz's time of night. Uh, this is this is his. These are his operating hours. Um, and you are able to acquire yourself uh, another pistol and some some bullets as well. And so at this point, it's getting on to be, it's definitely past midnight, maybe one, maybe between one and two at night. I mean, here here's a question. Do we, is it better for our purposes to try to go back to Notre Dame and just wait and wait for him directly and try to to catch him in the act? Or is it better to try... I mean, I don't know how close things are to completion. Here is a thought. We know what time of night he goes to, or we have a rough idea of when he goes to the cathedral. Should we go to where we know he stays when he is not there? Mm. Or should we attempt to confront him either at his home or at the cathedral? I think we've got to go... I think we got to go to where he is. I think we, we, At his home? We, yeah, we, we have the drop on him. He's away from his... I mean, he'll have his monster thing there. 
There's obviously yeah. weirdo stuff going on at Notre Dame. So or Notre Dame. <laughs> Isn't there always? Yeah. So <laughs> I I think I think we should we should go we should go right to, to where this, this thing lives. We should we should meet it on we should surprise it. Whatever he is, whatever it is. You suggested we go to his apartment while he is there and find him and confront him? For I, my understanding is it's nearly time for him to be at the cathedral, so I think we either do the cathedral or we wait a little bit and confront him at his home. Do we... What if... What if one of us went to his home and, and, and gathered what they could and, and the others confronted him at the cathedral, waited there for him? I don't know if I care for that particular plan, and I will tell you why. I believe this man seems... Well, we already know. We have seen what happens to someone who is infected with this crystalline madness. This man's going to be very dangerous. If he has some sort of wild beast, pet, whatever it is, he's going to be doubly so. I would prefer our chances with all three of us confronting him if that is going to be what we do. I don't believe that we should divide and conquer, because if we divide, we will be conquered. I think if one person goes to his home, that's one person against a demonic gargoyle crystal creature. That person's not coming back out. None of us are getting back out of this. Well... Francis, yeah. we, let's use logic, let's use reason here. Folks, we're... We're not getting out of this... We we just saw a boy turn to a monster. We've watched the most famous chapel in Europe turn into some sort of gateway to hell. I had crystals spreading through my arm. I felt them. I saw them. You touched that thing, Francis. <laughs> I defer to the wisdom of the group because... As my good friend Monty told me, it doesn't really matter in the end. There's not much that matters in this life, but I tell you this, the two of you matter to me, which is more than I can say than uh, about anything else in this forsaken world. And though I do believe our end is coming whether immediately or in the distant future. And that that is what uh, ultimately happens to everything. And that is what removes meaning from this life. I also would prefer, if I am to go out, to do so amongst the company of the people I do care about. I mean, I do think that... I don't know. I don't, I don't want you to be right. Donald, I, d I don't. I don't. Um, I think you may be. And I think what we what we choose to do matters somewhat in that I think if we can do have any effect, any any effect at all on this thing, we have to we have to give it our best shot. <laughs> and I think we've done quite a few shots so far. And I think if there's Yes, I think if, if, if we're going to carry on, then I think we're going to carry on side by side. Whatever, whatever it is, we've seen that it can be killed. So, mm. 
Uh, wherever we go, we know our job. We do. So. So where are we going? Yeah. So so I, I think what like <laughs> you know even out of character what like where do you think that your character would want to go? I think I think Donald just doesn't want. He's not making the decision. He just is looking for someone else to make the decision because he's he has more or less, like kind of mm. in his return from that that bout of insanity, kind of reached a point of like this. He's basically has a death wish. I think, and I, I think Monty would just ask, "Do we want?" And he's leading this way. Do we want to end this immediately? Do we want to confront and end this immediately? I do. <sighs> yes. Then. Then we go to the cathedral, as I believe, time check, <laughs> I believe that is where Mr. Cabo will be next. All right. So you head back to the cathedral. At this point, it is the middle of the night. There's no one there. You don't see Maurice Frenet, uh, but, you know, he had told you that he had been instructed and paid to stay away when the artist was working and you wait um are you trying to hide are you trying are you just gonna stand there there's no one there at the moment but you also you know it's not late enough that you think you probably missed him i would like to lean against the inside of the doors where the the judgment the um uh, carving is just in in the building, the inside of those doors, lean against the archway on the inside of those doors. Assuming he will either come to those doors to, to do more work or come in through them. When we went to Fitz, did we receive any any kind of like hunting rifles or service rifles? Anything with a just, we just probably got another pistol, guns? right? Yeah, just another pistol, yeah. Okay, and how do we want to divide that up um, in terms of who's carrying? We have well, two I have, now. yeah, I have the priests. Okay. Um, I mean, I don't think there's any world in which Francis has, has shot a gun before. Okay, all right. So I don't know that she would be a good match for one. I will, I will carry it in the small bag that I have. <laughs> it will take the place of my journal and inks and writing supplies that were formerly there. So, Francis, I, you live with your aunt who owns a home in Paris, so I'm sure there were there are some sort of kind of blunt objects there that if you wanted to go, you know, get a a walking stick or uh, something like that, you Can't could have stick. done that if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah, maybe we maybe we split up um, and and instead of meeting the, the infamous Fritz or Fitz, um, I, I kind of jogged off and, and got something like yeah like walkie stick that works cool and like a nice one so that it's got like heavy stuff at like the end that you hold my parents had one that had a, a mallard duck head on the top that's what I'm picturing oh, in my yeah. head <laughs> um, a jeweled shillelagh <laughs> yes a jeweled shillelagh <laughs> um, alright so I think this is the perfect opportunity for a piggyback role here. So um, this is a cooperative mm. role to try to kind of hide in the place that Monty mentioned. And the way that this works is that someone leads and then everyone else spends one from their sneak pool to benefit from the role of the person who's leading. So what do you all have for sneak? 
I'm pretty good. I have a five. Uh, two. Three. All right, so you could all spend a point and then have um, have Francis kind of help you all get into a hiding place. I think that's a good yeah. idea. Yeah. I mean, I can go yeah, ahead sure. and spend four. Like, why the F not? Yeah, so, so Monty and Donald each spend one. Francis mm-hmm. is going to spend four and add that to her roll. Yep. Oh, boy. You know, just in the old roll, it's fine. Ooh, okay, I rolled a four. Um, so that is an eight total. All I right. Think we're pretty darn sneaky. Yeah, so the three of you feel like you have found a space that no one will, no one would, no one would see you unless they knew exactly where to look. And no more than ten minutes later, uh, a man arrives on the plaza as if from nowhere. He carries a large bat, a large bag, and is wearing a mask. Do you all remain where you are as he walks and approaches the gate? I think Donald would would uh, start to make a move. Like I'm, I'm walking out. I'm just gonna walk out. I'm gonna Leroy Jenkins this because he's just seeing the guy and seeing the mask. It's like nah, fuck that. And he's gonna just kind of go at it. So he he starts to move. I'd, I'd, I'd like to just grab him, maybe hold mm-hmm. him back for a moment, just so we can witness see if there's any anything either let him get a little closer so that that he's not we're not just shooting him out you know shooting at him out in the public square from range yeah (laughs) and you know to potentially see what if anything he is doing or he's going to start to engage in initially before we make our move donald do you let him hold you back yes okay so the man makes his way toward the main doors toward the ironwork and he removes his mask, and you do all, in fact, recognize him. Um, he was sitting in the pews that first day that you went to the cathedral. I guess it was earlier on this day. Um, he was sitting there, um, and you each noticed him because he was kind of uh, moving his hands back and forth as though he was conducting and just kind of humming some church music to himself as he was sitting in the pews. But you were obviously otherwise preoccupied and didn't take too much notice of him. But he moves over to the iron gate and starts to, what looks like, begin his work. He sets his bag down, he opens it up, and he pulls out uh, some tools and goes to start sectioning off and removing a piece of ironwork from the gate. I give Francis and, and Don a look like, are we, shall we? Is this, is this the time? Yeah. And then, and then Donald would kind of break free of the, the grasp finally. And he would uh, raise his, his weapon and begin to approach. All right. Are you trying to, uh, are you trying to sneak up on him or are you trying to? Uh... How far are we? Um, I would say... 30 yards. We have a, we have, I don't, I'm not really up on how far a pistol can shoot. <laughs> Neither am I. You're, I don't think you're within range of a, of an 1895 pistol. And you got to get a little yeah, closer. Yeah, not yeah. within, not within a, a accurate range anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I think he would, I think Donald would just start walking over. Like just start, until he's close enough. Until he feels he's close enough to take the shot. Like that's the plan in his head is I'm just shooting this guy. Okay. I don't want to, I, I don't even want to know. So you start walking over, and he notices you. 
and leaving the bag where it is, dropping his tools, he takes off running. Uh, what is he? I assume he is running in the direction that would be opposite of us. Yes, yes. Yeah, not, too convenient to have him run towards our convenient shadows. Oh, we snuck so good. <sighs> okay. Uh, I, well, we gotta go. Follow him. Donald's running after him, and that's physical. <gasps> All right, so Donald is running after him. Are both Francis and Monty also running after him? I, I yeah. give a glance to Francis. I shrug and... <laughs> we book it. I guess we both run. All right, so I'm going to need athletics checks from all three of you. So now, um, Don, <laughs> what was, uh, what's this, this rule again here? If, if you, uh... If I roll an odd number on a physical challenge, I die. So you actually, you actually, <laughs> it, right. it, based on the way it's written to me, you roll a separate die. So why don't you all make the athletics check first? Okay. I have nothing to add. <laughs> I'm at zero. Yeah, does anybody want to spend anything on your athletics check? I mean, I still have two athletics. I don't know, I, I guess. Yeah, I will spend, <laughs> uh, I will spend yeah, three well. on my athletics. I'll spend my two. Can I use a push on a on a thing like this, or is is it only on investigative? Uh, yeah, things? only on investigative. Okay. Three. So I trip and fall. <laughs> I got a total of four. Okay. Uh, I rolled a four, so a seven. All right. Ooh, baby. And so then, um, Donald, go ahead and give me your my car bite roll. Oh God. Six. Six. Oh. <laughs> I am not. It like did the like roll around, roll around, roll around oh. on one, and then kind of and then kind of flop oh. over with six. <laughs> it hit my ashtray, as a matter of fact. So you, we're safe. All three of you start to take off after uh, Baptiste Cabot, and Don, your. Your arm is really hurting you at this point, and you know you, you you lost quite a bit of blood, and you're really feeling drained, and so you don't you're you're not keeping up. Um, but Francis and Monty, even though he's he like starts to wind his way through the streets, you're able to keep up with him, um, and you do you do actually catch him. Um, so what would you like to like what, when you get up next to him? What do you do? Like, is he... Are we, have we caught up to him while in motion? Yeah, yeah. Or have we cornered him? Okay. Um, I'm going to swing that damn walking stick and try to trip him. Okay. Uh, anything you're doing differently than that, Monty? Just, um, I, I want to sort of assist in doing the same type of thing. I don't have a walking stick, but if I can catch him by the back of the shirt or something like that to hold him up to so that it is, you know easier for him to be tripped I'd like to like be able to get him on the ground as well so let's say I'm trying to grab grab his clothing sure so Francis swings out the walking stick and the the duck's bill makes contact <laughs> with uh, with Cabot's <laughs> shin and he stumbles over forward and Monty you're able to kind of wrap him up and drag him to the ground um and you know he's an older man, so you know once you <laughs> once you have him wrapped up, you're much stronger than he is, um, and you're able to kind of restrain him. And by this point, 
uh, Donald, you also have caught up with the group. I mean, I guess just to make sure, um, Francis is going to ask, are you Monsieur Cabot? Yes, I, I am. What, why, why have you, why have you attacked me? Oh, no. Don starts walking <laughs> up with the gun and he's got it drawn. Move, Monty. I, I, we have to take care of this. We have to take care of this right now. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold my hand up back towards Don. Don, you and I both know we need to know. We need the final answers about this, and then I am happy to do whatever we need to do to Mister Cabo. You're right. You're right. The, 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 no, the, the, the nature of research is that we must have a conclusion. Let's get our conclusion, and then we can conclude, Mister Cabo, if that is so called for. Why? Why have you? Why have you tackled me? Why have you chased me? Mmm. Mmm. Francis is. <laughs> do Francis? No, do it, Francis. You've got some. You're holding something back. Do it, Francis. Yeah, Whatever right. it is, do I it. <laughs> I mean, Francis gonna freaking wallop him with my mallard on his the back of his head. Like, I'm not trying to kill him, but like, I don't even care. Like, uh-uh, this guy is, no. Mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. So you, you swing down and he kind of covers his head and you, <laughs> you, you hit him. Um, and you see that there, there, there are like wounds on the, his hands and on his arm. Like he has cut out chunks from his hand. And he says, what, what do you want? What do you want? How dare you? How dare you ask that question? You're the one who brought all of this everywhere. You're the one who's responsible for all of this, aren't you? And don't pretend that you don't know what I mean. You know what I mean, sir. Uh, so, Francis, I'm going to say that that's a uh, that's a use of your investigative ability, steal. Yeah, <laughs> could be. It could well be. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is perfect in this situation. Uh, and so he looks up at you and says, "You are right. I do know what you mean. Uh, but will you will you allow me to explain? Uh, please." Donald, do you need your explanation? And he kind of stares long at uh, Baptiste. Just kind of staring at him. He's got the gun pointed at him. Explain. Thank you. Well, it all happened late one night at at the cathedral. I, I was practicing the organ late at night, and I... Heard a crash in the main chapel. I found I couldn't explain it. it I could only describe it as a, a wounded demon. A being I later discovered was sent by God as a sign for me to do his work. I took the demon home, but I still keep it. It's locked in my bedroom. A few days later, my organ began to... Again, I know that it sounds... Absurd, but it began to whisper to me as I played. The Lord's voice was speaking to me, giving me instructions on how to use this creature to do his will. That is the work that I do on the gate. And every night, as I work on the doors, I am granted visions of Eden, a strange and wonderful place. And at this point, you can see that his his his, his face has gone from fear to almost some sort of religious ecstasy that he really does believe that he's doing God's work. 
Uh, and he continues, he says, eventually, and he like holds his hand up, eventually I will destroy the demon and use its blood and bone to create a gateway in this world that allows humankind back into Eden, as the Lord has instructed me. When the time is right, my music will open the space between this world and the next, allowing all of the chosen people to enter blissful eternity. And uh, as soon as he says blissful eternity, uh, Donald pulls the trigger of the gun, which is loaded right at the middle of his head. All right. You uh, you kill Baptiste Cabot, um, and I'm going oh to my. need you to roll a composure check. I'm out of composure points, I believe. How did that right. happen? I can't even imagine. Hmm, who could possibly be responsible? Okay, here we go. Up on the ground, two. All right, that is a fail. Um, yes. And so this is a composure check for the mental hazard. You just killed the person. Um, <laughs> uh, when you failed. Um, so you are going to take, uh, you actually failed by more than one. So you are going to receive an image seared into the mind, which is a shot card. It is minus one to all focus tests. And at the end of any interval, uh, and an interval is um, a particular period of time during a scenario. We won't finish another interval before the end of the scenario. Make a difficulty three composure test. On a success, you discard it, uh, and it becomes a continuity card if it is in hand at the end of the scenario. So I think at the end of this scenario, we will have you make that composure test. And if you succeed, you'll if discard it. Alive. If you're still alive. Um, and if you <laughs> fail... Caveat. <laughs> if you fail, it will become a continuity card. Um, so is this your second shot card? Um, I think so. I think I still we have. Get rid of? Well, no, I got rid of. I had reality collapse. So I got rid of that. I have my carbide. No, I have one injury and one okay. shock. Okay. So you're still you're still okay. All right. And so you you uh, you kill Baptiste Cabot. And so both you and Monty have killed a person so far today. <laughs> Just in the last hour. <laughs> Um, and so this man, this this older man is now, who, who is known him. across Paris as the organist at the Cathedral of Notre Dame, <sighs> is lying dead, shot, on the middle of the street. I did mean to ask, if there, are we surrounded by people? Well, are it's there... in the middle of the night, so probably <laughs> okay. not. No, it's like no. 3 a.m. Good to know. An empty street. I think that uh, he stands up. Uh, Donald stands up. He looks at Monty. We should, we should go uh, retrieve his his tool bag. We should see, we should see what he had before we go and kill the demon. Yes, and excuse my desecration for a moment. I just want to rifle through his pockets to see if he has any pieces of paper, mm. anything that might Keys. look like. I don't know, the Yellow King play, any of that stuff on him. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Uh, so the only thing that you find is a, a small blade that seems to be made of that same black. Oh. His, that's his gouging blade. Rock. Oof. Well. I almost said that I grabbed his, his tools on our way here, but I didn't, I didn't say it. He won't be needing this anymore, but uh, I feel compelled to leave it with him. So I just stab it into his chest and <laughs> we can... <laughs> We can leave. Simple but effective. And then, uh, uh, 
what's this? Just to Donald takes his his the guy's wallet or like any identification and like turns his pockets out so it looks like a he was mugged and killed. You take his eight, 1895 driver's license out of his <laughs> yeah his driver's license with this weird occult weapon. Anything he had on his effects, and you turn his turn his pockets out so it looks like someone went through them. This may sound strange. Is it possible I would know anyone in the underworld who might have like a signature way of if they if they oh yeah kill like the found, killed someone something like that that they would leave a body that they had of someone they had killed? Absolutely. Okay. I don't. I don't want to leave the knife for someone to find. Mm. What if that continues this whole thing? Monty, do you have a uh, do you have a push left? I do. If you use it, you can you, you can do another demimond push to uh, to make it look like um, a particular local gang and the way that they mug and leave people. Okay, uh, I am going to do that. I will use a push, and I will make this look like um, le sucre. Uh, let's say something like le sucre vie. <laughs> <laughs> the sweet <Perfect>. life <laughs> gang. <laughs> Is that like the apple dumpling? Yes, it's like the apple dumpling. <laughs> yeah, the gang it's, that couldn't it's shoot Actually, straight. yeah. The original stooge is Molarian Curly. <laughs> uh, sure, I will use the push to do that. And then the three of you make your way back to Notre Dame, uh, and his bag is sitting near the ironwork gate. So Donald would go over and uh, start to look through it, start to kind of go through and see if he finds anything that is not the usual you know would be usually in the bag of an organist or a man working on the door sure so you most of what you find is is a set of tools that would be used to refurbish this ironwork um you also find a a, a a what looks like what he would have replaced the ironwork with um carved out of this black shiny rock that you you know even from the very first time that you saw it around the the bracelet that Calvin Leith dropped you really thought it looked like bone more than anything and now that you're looking at it and after having heard what he said you're pretty sure that this is the bone of the creature that he's keeping in his apartment and the last thing that you see in the bag, wrapped up in a napkin that has the embroidery of a frog on it, so he must have taken it from the cafe downstairs, is a jar of what has to be blood. And we are going to end our story there for tonight. <laughs> Emily does Ew. not like that. Ew. Ew. <laughs> no thank you. This podcast was created using the Yellow King RPG by Pelgrane Press and is based on an adventure written by Sarah Saltiel called The Doors to Heaven, both used under the Pelgrane Press Limited community use policy, along with music from the Yellow King Suite written by James Semple. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the Nature of My Game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or at nomgpodcast.com.